I'm Julie Holland. And I'm Nick Spacek. We're the hosts of The Carnage Report, a horror news podcast, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. Every other Thursday, we bring you the latest news you can use on horror movies, casting, production, re-releases, trailers, and more. We also do a deep dive into a movie new to streaming or theaters, giving you our thoughts and opinions on whether you should check it out. Toss in recommendations for similar movies and a whole lot of commentary, and it's all the horror news you can use. The Carnage Report is on Twitter and Instagram at Report Carnage. Find us at cinepunks.com, that's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, or wherever you get your podcasts. Howdy folks, my name is Owen Brand. And I'm Katie Cadaver. And we are co-hosts of the VHS Vault Podcast, where old is new and cringe is king. Uh, we are a podcast dedicated to bringing you old and obscure movies from deep in the vault. That's right. You can listen to us on Spotify, Amazon Music, and on Planet Rage Radio Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central on the Live 365 app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And email us at VHSVaultPodcast at gmail.com. The Shameless Picture Show is part of the Cinepunks Network. If you like the Shameless Picture Show and you want to hear other great shows like it, make sure you check out the Cinepunks Network. You can find them at www.cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. There's other great shows such as Cinepunks. There's The Carnage Report, Cinema Smorgasbord, Fat Girl Hacks, Loud, Fast, Philly, Tomb of Ideas, and Twitch of the Death Nerve, and so much more. If you like punk rock and you like movies, make sure to go to www.cinepunks.com. And let's not forget the sponsors for the Cinepunks Network. We have the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. They are the premier screen printer of the Lehigh Valley with service to the whole country, professional and personable in a way that only a DIY business can be. They also have ridiculously low prices for whatever your screen printing needs may be. You can visit them online at xlvacx.com. That's xlvacx.com. Com, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. We also have the Essex Coffee Roasters. They're, all their coffee is roasted to order. They have high quality beans, bunch of apparel, and tea available. They are bringing high quality coffee to the masses without the pretentiousness. Use the code CINEPUNKS for 10% off your first order. You can visit them at www.essexcoffeeroasters.com. It's E-S-S-E-X coffeeroasters.com. Com. Once again, use the code CINEPUNKS for 10% off your first order. Big shout out to the band Crossed Keys uh, for lending us that awesome fucking music during our little ad. That song is called Who We Never Were. You can buy that single currently off of Bandcamp. The band is called Crossed Keys. It will be on their full-length album, Believes in You. Uh, that song was lent to me by Crossed Keys, specifically, uh, I don't know if he goes by Joey Angel or goes by Joshua Alvarez, but I met him as Joshua Alvarez. He's the co-host of Cinepunks, our fucking network, and I told him, I love this song, I want to use it, so that way people don't have to just listen to me talk, and he said, fuck yeah. So please, if you like the song, uh, the song is called Who We Never Were, you can get that on Bandcamp currently. Uh, it's off of their album, Believes in You. You can get the 10-song... The 10-song LP is out May 5th. Friday, May 5th. 
uh, you can actually order it on vinyl right now. So go show them some love. Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you, Corpse Grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and pick up your copies of Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite films, just in time for the new Netflix movie Dolomite Is My Name, starring Eddie Murphy. Also available is Hell Comes to Frogtown, starring Rowdy Rowdy Piper, James Hong's The Vineyard, Pledge Night, Lust in the Dust, starring Divine, Putney Swope, The Amityville Cursed Collection, and much, much more. Also, don't forget to pre-order your copy of Tammy and the T-Rex in glorious 4K Ultra High Definition, or Blu-ray, and The Angel Collection. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Hey guys, Michael here from the Shameless Picture Show. I'm just here to do a little intro. Um, I don't do these super often unless the topic that we are discussing on the film um, is incredibly difficult in terms of some of its themes. So as you can see, probably see from the from the episode title that I am being joined by Eric Arsnow and my, free, my friend uh, Josephine Maria Janasek Leschinski, and we are talking about Andrei Zulovsky's Possession. This is a transgressive film. It can be quite difficult if you go into this movie not knowing much about it. I hope most of you who are listening to this episode do, in fact, know what this movie is about or have seen it. But if you are like some listeners do where they listen to the episode first, there are some difficult themes being discussed in this film, such as self-harm, suicide, harm to children, failing relationships, and also cruel treatment of actors on film sets. Um, so I did want to give you guys just a little warning, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode because this was a fantastic talk. Thanks very much. podcast actually discusses movies be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements endings surprise twists unexpected cameos and all manner of spoilers if this doesn't appeal to you why listen to a movie podcast without further ado please enjoy our feature presentation the shameless picture show 
Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. On today's episode, I am joined by two very special guests. First off, appearing on her seventh episode of the Shameless Picture Show, we have my friend, collaborator, and go-to for weird movies, Josephine Maria Yanisek Leschinski. Good job. My I, my mouth always wants to roll Yanisek and Leschinski into one word and then I have to stop myself. because people. Is... That's how my family pronounces it, Yanisek Leschinski, like it's one... But, but I'm the I'm, only one. So. I'm afraid if I do that, I'm going to butcher it all because I'm not giving myself mm. a chance to mm. breathe. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you might pass out. <laughs> um, Josephine, for those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, has this, honestly, you've done a little bit of everything. You've done panels with me. You've written, you've written short stories. You've written books. You've done film criticism. But most recently... You uh, have a chapter in a book called Refocus, the films of Susan Seidelman, uh, which was uh, uh, edited by our mutual friend Susan Kearns. Yes. And you also have a short story in the uh, uh, anthology Demons and Death Drops. I do. Thank you. No one makes me sound as cool as you do, Mike. <laughs> like... Well, tell Thank us a little you. bit about that before I introduce our other guest. Sure. So Demons and Death Drops is a queer performance anthology so um the the pitch was primarily about drag performances which are at the center of a lot of political conversation right now um and a huge center of gay culture i wrote about bdsm uh and revenge porn whoa and that's all i can really say about it because it hasn't come out yet but um this is a story that a lot of people when i was submitting it they held on to it and then they were like we can't publish this because xyz and it was usually like it's too messed up it's like uh just doesn't quite fit with the rest of the anthology it's a little too weird like it's really well written is what i always hear but this was a little too weird and finally somebody wanted it and the editor is like very excited about it so that feels really good so thank you i I feel like if you're gonna get turned down being told that it's too weird is kind of a, a cool one you know, it feels cool the first time, uh, but this is like the sixth story that like people, what I always hear from people is you're a really good writer. And that's like the end of, they're like, but, and then there's like, it's too weird. We can't sell this, blah, blah. And I don't believe that. Like somebody wants to read these stories, but finally one editor gave me a chance. So here we go. I feel like being told you're a really good writer is kind of like the equivalent of, uh, I made a film one time and the best thing someone could tell me was they liked the costumes. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It's like, yeah, I can put words together. Like, that's a skill I have. The end. Like, that's well, the de- beginning. Demons and Death Drops has not come out yet. When does it come out? Uh, soon. I think beginning of next year. I don't really remember. I should know, but I don't. And, and so. then Refocus, the films of Susan Seidelman, is currently available for... Available is, it, is it still pre-order or, is it, or can you actually get it now? I believe you can get it now. It'll have to ship um, from either their warehouse in the United States or in the UK, but it is available to All right, you, so the if anyone, out, if anyone out there wants to read more about the films of Susan Seidelman, which everyone listening should, or uh, read uh, Queer Horror, you know where to go. Heck yes. But it's not the only guest we have today. Appearing on his second episode, we have Eric Arsnow, who is a video editor, animator, and musician working out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Eric operates the post-production company Funland Studios, but he's also a pretty prolific local musician as he plays in bands such as Devil's Tooth and Fight Dice. 
And I feel like you have a couple other ones too, but those are the two I remember. Yeah, those are the two main ones for sure. <laughs> and then you, yeah. you also had a solo project come out like in 2021, didn't you? Yeah, and actually I'm working on another one right now. They'll probably be out next year sometime. So, cool. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, what, what, what kind of music is it like? If you um, have to describe it. Yeah. So I'm this, making you guys all talk about yourselves. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've got like a couple, like I always, it's hard to write with music. Um, I always try to like get in a mindset of like what kind of band it would be, even though I'm by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one that I'm currently writing for is going to be kind of like more of a shoegaze um, kind of psych rock uh, album. And then uh, I just was working on something that's going to be a little bit more new wave too. That's kind of like in the early stages, so uh, it's fun. I just I love hanging out here in my basement recording stuff. So I, f- I, f- I feel like that's that's the biggest thing I, I have learned in in my time of trying different arts. You just you got to find something you don't mind doing for long periods of time. Yeah, yeah. especially by yourself because. Like Eric, you know this. Um, you know, filmmaking is such a collaborative effort. And while you can do it on your own, there's been a lot of prolific filmmakers who have made quite a career just making. You know, like Sadie Benning used to make movies just in her bedroom. Um, it's primarily a pretty um, collaborative thing, so it's kind of fun when you can have a uh, some sort of art form or a form of self-expression that you can just do by yourself in a room. That's why this podcast exists. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, um, it's crazy, too. Like, band-wise, uh, Devil's Teeth and Fight Dice are both going to have probably records out next year, too. I know Devil's mm-hmm. Teeth for sure. We recorded two in Detroit a couple of years ago, so it's just going to be, like, a really huge music year for me, for sure. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, thanks. Exciting. <laughs> This this question just came came to me, but Eric, you you might be able to. Have you ever been? Have you ever had to open for yourself? Yes. Have you ever been yeah. twice on a show? Actually, I just did that recently, and it was uh, I did that more in high school. Like it was okay back then, but like I don't know. Recently, it was just like that's probably way too much. I'm getting too old to be doing that sort of thing. <laughs> Psyching yourself up for two performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Do you, so. Do you ever like forget what you're playing and start like almost start going into something else? Um, or is it so muscle memory now at this point? Yeah, it's probably more the muscle memory end of things. So, and I mean, thankfully, both those bands are like two totally different styles of music. So, kind of helps separate it too. I only thought of it because I just recently went to go see Guar, and they had another band that was that opened for them. That was just them out of makeup. Oh sure, wow. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And that, funny, that's actually how Guar started. Guar start, uh, was the opening band for their original band, like Death Piggy. Um, but no one wanted to open for them, so they just made their own band. Um, and then Guar became more popular, so they just ran with it. And I, I kind of appreciate that they still do that, that they just open for themselves, even though they are they don't have to at this point. Yeah, Yeah, but where do you get the energy? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, and I totally respect that for sure, because it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got tired just being at the show. I was like, <laughs> can we wrap this up? I'm, I want to go home and have some cocoa. <laughs> I just lost any like credibility I had. <laughs> you know what? I make cocoa all the time. Don't worry about it. I know you do. Or you meant leaving Guar to have cocoa. Uh, leaving lovely. Guar to have It was more so it's like, can we cut off one lovely. of these openers so we can get to Guar sooner? <laughs> There's yeah. going to be four openers. Um, but anyways, uh, how, uh, I should ask you guys before the, uh, we talk about the movie, how are you both doing today? Dead stare, yeah. dead stare into the camera. That, I think that's uh, both answer. of us were like, eh. yeah. um, I have. I'm actually having 
a good day, but it's up and down. As you know, Mike, like it's been kind of an up and down day. But um, yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. Things are up and down. It's mostly very exciting. But um, I don't know. I've been writing professionally for 15 years, and it feels like every small like setback is like I like haven't broken. Like I haven't made it. Whatever that means. And like. Mm-hmm. So anytime there's like a small setback, I'm like, oh, I should just quit. Like this sucks. And then I'll have like something really to celebrate. But then there'll be like a small setback in there. And I'm like, oop, nope, can't celebrate. Didn't make it. <laughs> Failed. So we'll get there. How about you, Eric? Yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty okay day. I had, Similarly, I've been doing like um, a lot of client work today. And yeah, things just always changing with that, uh, especially with video and animation. So it's doing a bunch sure. of revisions on stuff today and. It being like the most fall like wet day out, it's just kind of one of those days where I'd rather just be curled up and watching movies or something instead of doing work. So, yeah, honestly, that's the only benefit really to it getting dark earlier. Is like I just want to start watching movies even earlier. Yeah, because like during the summer when it gets dark and it's so late, it's like I don't want to watch a movie when the sun's still up. I could be doing something. Yeah, yeah, that's totally. Nice. Uh, but I'm glad to hear both of you guys are doing doing well today. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's always weird, like uh, trying to juggle two different guests and you know keep uh, the the pleasantries going amongst two people. But I would do you appreciate... rather that we fight because I can start a fight. Like let's no, go. you know. Well, I guess we'll I'm see ready. what you both think about end up thinking about the movie. Then we can mm. kind of figure it out from there. I have a feeling um, we both like it. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> but. But no, I appreciate you both being on this. Uh, and by the time this comes out, it'll actually be like one of our December episodes, which is mm. funny because I really thought this was a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you hadn't seen it or because you just had like a feeling about it? I just had like, I knew the visuals of the movie. Like I just knew oh, like funny. some of the, the visuals of the movie and just with its colder, bluer tone, uh, I just, I think my brain just added snow. No, that's just <laughs> Germany, Mike. That's what it looks like. Yeah. It does look like Christmas all the time, to be fair, in Germany. Like that's... That's where Christmas is from, basically. So that's true. That's true. So this this will feel appropriate, and just just let that sink in. That uh, the way this episodes are going to be going, uh, we'll have an episode that me and Eric just did, or we did a while ago, but it's not going to get released until later on um, uh, on Sunset Boulevard. So we're going to go from that to possession to <laughs> a very movie. Brady Christmas. Nice. That's a good transition. That's how we're ending this season. Um, but I feel like this is a perfect... Just, let's just get into the movie. On today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show, I'll be crossing a doozy off my own personal shame list. Uh, Josephine, you've been you've been correcting me a lot on pronunciation. Anything I need to know about pronouncing this guy's first name? I've just how, been saying... An, how, I've been saying Andre, because I don't know yeah, what that's to it. say. Yeah, but yeah, you nailed it. You nailed, nailed it. Okay. All right. Cause, that's like, not the I, hard part. No, it, but you got me second-guessing myself. Because I was not expecting a J and a Z to both be an Andre. So. No one expects the J and the Z as no. someone with both. Um, I am waiting for like me to like correct everyone, and then like some real poll, like some real Polish person, to like write into the podcast and be like, "Actually, you're an idiot," and this is how well, you pronounce it. If so we'll anyone see. wants We're to see how up. bad I am at Polish pronunciations, go back to seasons ago when I just by myself in my bedroom was talking about the lure for about fifteen minutes. And how did you pronounce I, her name? Oh, I don't even remember. It was terrible. <laughs> Do you know how to pronounce it now? No. Agnieszka Smoczynska. Yeah, it wasn't that nice. <laughs> yeah. right. Continue. But Sorry, continue. Today, continue. well, I, I derailed myself. Today, we're, we'll, be talking, we'll be talking about Andrzej Zawowski's 
Zawowski. Yeah. I'm as close as I'm going to get. <laughs> Mark is a spy returning to his home in West Berlin after an espionage mission, but life at home isn't happy as Mark finds out his wife wants a divorce. Mark is convinced she's met someone else and decides he doesn't want anything to do with her or their son Bob anymore. However, after a drunken bender, Mark returns home to find Bob has been left alone and realizes he wants to be a bigger part of their son's life. Mark misses Anna, but struggles with her infidelity and meeting her lover, Heinrich. If this all sounds pretty uh, run-of-the-mill relationship drama, trust me, it gets even more strange. We've not even gotten to lacerations with cooking utensils, dismembered body, doppelgangers, explosions, or a tentacle creature oozing its way through the shadowy depths of Anna's apartment. Possession is an angry film, and it's been well documented that Zawowski wrote the film during a state of deep depression from his wife with Polish actress Malgorzata Bronick. Malgorzata. Yeah. I wasn't too far off. Nice. Um, the film is notorious for its production, where both Sam Neill and Isabel Ajani have stated that there have been both physical and emotional abuse on set, and they got them to the point of nearly breaking. Uh, the pain we see on screen is real, and these actors are channeling it, channeling it in the only way they know how. Possession premiered at the 34th Cannes Film Festival, where Ajani took home the award for Best Actress, and she was also nominated for the film Quartet. And it had a limited release in France and the UK, where it was put on the video nasties list. It had also been released in the United States, but the film was butchered down and lost nearly a third of its runtime. The film was notoriously hard to see until recent years, but has taken on a cult status for its incredibly raw performances, erratic cinematography, visceral effects, and unsettling tone. The film stars Sam Neill, Isabel Ajani, Margaret uh, Karstensen, and Heinz Bennett. Written and directed by Andre Zulowski from 1981, this is Possession. I've completed my job. That's why we want to rehire you. It's out of the question. And what would be the reason for your refusal? Family. Maybe all couples go through this. You have someone? Yes. Do you sleep with him? Yes. How long is it gonna last? I don't know. When I'm away from you, I think of you as an animal or a woman. And then I see you again, and all this disappears. You know, love isn't something you can just switch from channel to channel. Who is he? Nice. That was good. Yeah. yeah. I could have just listened to more of that. I was like, describe more. <laughs> I realized, like, this was an incredibly, like, weird film to write a description for because, like, on the surface, you just like, oh, it's, you know. It's a marriage drama. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's marriage a marriage story. story. It's marriage story with tentacles, essentially. 
Yeah. yeah. But it, okay. it just, it, it, it's, it's very, it, it's very much one thing until it's not, is kind of how I felt about it. But uh, I'm the only one in, the, in this group who hasn't seen the movie, so I will talk about uh, my very brief history in just a minute. But I want to ask both of you what your history with this movie is and when you first saw it. Uh, I'm just going to. Yeah, we'll start off, Eric. I'm in charge, Eric. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I was actually lucky to see it quite a while ago because it's weird. It did come out on an Anchor Bay DVD. It was like a dual release with like Hellgate, I want to say. Oh, um, that sounds correct. Also, killer like double feature. Yeah, yeah. Love it. So, uh, yeah, that was my first time seeing it, and I do believe that was the uncut version too, which is kind of super lucky. And um, I don't know, like. Every once in a while, I'll watch a film and just completely get engrossed in, like, how it's unraveling. Like, I think Lost Highway was a really good example for me growing up um, in the middle of nowhere, not having a lot of exposure to art house cinema. Um, so I was just really taken aback with, like, where this thing went. Um, Sam Neill is always a favorite of mine. So, like, seeing him do just this absolutely crazy role was uh, awesome. And then Johnny was, like, even more incredible and unhinged um i mean the sidebars unfortunately hearing about you know their post-traumatic experiences afterwards mm -hmm. but uh what was captured is just absolutely insane like you you feel the film quite a bit so but yeah that's me i'll wrap up there <laughs> excellent that's good all right how um, about you josephine i had heard hey okay, i'm gonna be honest i saw this movie really late um I saw Zawafsky's other movies earlier. Um, the Devil is one that I'd like to talk about on this podcast at some point because this film actually reshoots a bunch of move, a bunch of scenes from The Devil. Uh, All right, next, next season, we, you got it. Well, I, I just want to talk like briefly about it here. We don't need to like get into that. <laughs> the Devil's actually a very difficult film to see. Uh, it's hard to find. But um, anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm into Polish cinema. I'd never seen Possession, and part of it was that tentacle creature. I really, um, I love monster fucking, but tentacles are such like a messy, a poorly used uh, sexual trope that could be really amazing. And I think this film kind of nails it, but um, I like stayed away from this movie for a long time because I was like, I don't know if I want to see something I would like to unsee. Like, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready for that. That's I actually true. saw this uh, at the Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago. They had a double feature with the original Suspiria. Oh, cool. Um, and drag performances, oh, like introducing a, each. That's wild. That's a dense night, but the drag performance is probably, oh. That's it was incredible. It was a Halloween night thing, too. So, like, cool. everyone showed up in costume. Um, and one of the performers for the Suspiria section came out on, like, a, no, you know, it was for the Possession one. She came out on a cherry picker, like one of those big like uh, machines that take you really high up and take you down. So somebody like drove her forward and then like lowered her down and then she like came <laughs> off of this thing. It was incredible. And then they played the film. So, you know, it was just uh... so that was like an incredible experience. Um, and this movie. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's really well done. Um Seeing it, I knew that he had taken a bunch from the devil, which is interesting because there's some other subtext there. But um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. So thanks for giving me the opportunity. And thanks for inviting me, Mike. I, you know, I love Polish film and like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, like, um, 
not to jump into it so quickly, but the subtext, are you kind of referring to some of the way he was treated as a filmmaker? Um, it, or not necessarily? Because I know the devil yeah. was the one that kind of like ostracized him a little bit, right? Oh, or, the devil is the first one to ostracize him. So okay. here, can I give a There's little Zawoski? Yeah. Can I give just like Please. real quick? So um, this film, uh, you talked about, you know, he was really depressed when he was making it because yes. he was divorcing mm-hmm. his Bronak, his, his the only one uh, woman who he like legally married. Um, so she plays, she is one of the stars of the devil. Okay. And the Ajani scene where she is like freaking out in the tunnel is almost shot for shot, even though Ajani is bringing her own thing to it, a scene from the devil that Bronick acts in. Like you can find shot comparisons online. Um, So like that film is very important, but the devil is the film that got him kicked out of Poland the first time. Yeah. Um, But he went to France where you can do almost anything. And he um, created a film about love uh, that was very successful. And Poland was like, come back, because Poland actually really wants a film culture, but really struggles with it, because historically, uh, not even just under communist governments, like Poland in general is just very kind of repressed when it comes to art and cinema. It's very difficult to get things made um, and like not censored. So they were like, come back, come back. And he started making this science fiction epic. um, Silver Globe. Silver Globe. Thank you, Eric. Uh, and that film ran over budget. Um, they ordered him to destroy all of the all of the film, all the celluloid, and it wasn't destroyed. People saved it, but like actors had to like hide it in their houses. And it it, it like a, a cut of it exists, but like yeah. parts are missing, and it's you know it's not what he wanted. And he got kicked out a second time, and then he made this movie. So it's like uh while he was in france and he actually filmed it in west berlin because um it was the closest he could get to poland without going into poland um and also just visually it's very similar because poland and germany have a very similar like architectural history that's interesting Um, yeah so so really the movie's about breaking up with poland it's not just about the end of his marriage his depression it's about breaking up with poland um and how like traumatic that was for him and I think, if I remember correctly, the Silver Globe was technically unfinished, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I know, like, for any movie nerds out there, I can't remember who just put it out, but, like, it's technically, like, considered there's, like, a trilogy, right? Like, it's the devil. Yeah. I can't remember the other film, but then... Third part of the night. Yeah, and then Silver Globe. So mm-hmm. that did just come out on Blu-ray. Um, yeah. Which is super cool because I've never seen them, but I'm really looking forward to it. Please. I mean, the devil's really good. Um, the devil's really fucked up. Like this movie's like fucked up, but the devil's like uh, family members fucking each other on screen, like the whole movie, like just to put that out there. Um, so like, you know, Polish cinema. <laughs> love it. Uh, so I'm like giving a thumbs up to the camera. Polish cinema. Um, third part of the night is a really dark movie. I think it deals directly with Poland's, um, you know, history of war. Uh, okay. But it's. I love it because Bronick is also in it. Um, she's in a lot of his movies before they get divorced. Um, there is a scene in the beginning, not to ruin anything, but like she's about to give birth and he and like the soldier walks in and he's like, oh, whoa, and tries to like back out. And she's like, get the fuck in here. You're helping me give birth. Get some towels. Like he, she, it just happens. Like hmm. she's like, no, you're helping. You walked in here. Absolutely not. And then she makes him help. And that's like the most Polish shit ever. Yeah. Like I love that. So... Uh, yeah, that's a good movie too. Cool. I haven't seen Silver Globe actually. I haven't. I've seen parts of it, but yeah, uh, I think I saw like a trailer mm. online a little bit ago. Because um, yeah, he had a company, is like Mondovision, that was helping mm-hmm. release a lot of this. 
but uh, I want to say somebody else released those three for some reason. So I mean, he he died in 2016, and his estate was like really because gotcha. he was he wasn't legally married to the uh, person he was in a relationship with for 16 years. Okay. Um. So like his and he they um him and Bronick have a son Xavier, and they, it, it just gets messy with the Xavier still in Poland. Um. He was living in France, like, you know. Sure interesting and like uh, uh, part of the, one of the reasons i wanted to do to do this movie is because this is one that has been on my radar for a, a very long time uh probably close to maybe eight years or so um and it's like i had said in my intro it was notoriously hard to find for a while and even mm-hmm. when mondo vision did bring it out it was a very limited run yeah and it was if you missed out on it you missed it um, and I remember theirs was theirs was interesting too because I think they even had a copy of the American cut on there, which just out of pure curiosity, I want to see. Um, but I'd first heard about this film uh, years ago because of a podcast. There's actually a podcast by the name of Elric Kane. He, he hosts a show called the Pure Cinema Podcast, and it's he's quoted as being his favorite movie forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so much so that he said he was so obsessed with it that uh, there was a period of time when Facebook first came around, he created like the first like zuwowski uh fan page Love and was that. running it and to the point where people thought it was him <laughs> so they were like asking him filmmaking questions he's like oh, i'm not this guy i'm just running the fan page for him um so it's i think what what had uh, uh, attracted me to it was just hearing the way that people talked about it you know um because uh, i remember he had described it as being a movie that he said, even if you remove all the horror elements, it's uh, it would still be a great movie oh, uh, yeah. in terms of uh, and that always stuck with me because that's always something I look for in, for in a, in a horror movie is is it still a good movie? Even if you take all the horror elements out, are we telling a good story? Are we telling a story that people might want to watch? Yeah. Um, and that always stuck with me. Um, and then because anytime he talked about it he kept it very vague to not give too much away and with a title like possession here i was thinking it was gonna be like a possession movie sure. and um totally and then just seeing that poster and i absolutely love that the uh, the the poster at least that i know the the one with uh, i think it's supposed to be uh isabella johnny's back mm-hmm. and it, you know i love that there's a little heart above the eye in possession i don't know it's just that little detail amuses the shit out of me. Um, so it's such a, it's so Polish. It's such a, like, yeah. like a kitschy, like a uh, very eighties, you know, poster. Oh, um, I also want to say Bronick. Sorry. Bronick left Zawowski for a, uh, movie poster artist, a very famous movie poster artist. So like his name was really? also Andre. So that's really funny. I mean, cool. that's, cool drama. that's, uh, you know, okay. I guess though. Cause like Polish movie posters are the best. So they like, rule. Yeah, I, know, they're, I know. They're awesome. I know. I mean, so like that, you get it, right? Like you're like, yeah, that yeah, yeah. makes sense. Like yeah, you didn't definitely. stand a chance, dude. Like yeah. <laughs> you may be making the you may you may be making the movies, but this yeah. guy is selling your. Movie. Oh yeah. And he's got a happier tune too. I mean, yeah, Andre, you're pretty depressed most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he was kind of a jerk. Yeah. Sounds like Sam Neill and <laughs> yeah. Isabella Johnny said. Uh, I mean, I was, I'm not surprised. And actually, uh, I think uh, Sam Neill has said, like, he's talked about it a little bit. Yeah. He has, he has said that there's stories that he doesn't feel comfortable telling while some people are still alive. Yeah. Well, and he also was really uh, embarrassed about having to hit a Johnny in this film, too, like, for real. 
Um, and I guess she was like, bring it on. It's kind of crazy because, I mean, it sounds like to an extent she knew a little bit of what she was getting into and kind of like accepted that. But then it even just kind of like got worse as it went along. Yeah, she um, she was a breakout star at that point, And she actually signed on because Sam Neill wasn't sure he wanted to. So she really wanted to work with Sam Neill. Oh, like cool. she like uh, Zawowski's team presented this film to Isabella Johnny's team. And they were like, no, like she like she was about to make it. So they were like, no, this is not the movie that we want her to like the next thing to, that she's going to do. Yeah. Um, And then they so he offered it to a different person. And brought on Sam Neill. And Sam Neill was like, I don't know if I want to commit to this. And Isabel Johnny was like, oh, he's not sure. Let's, like, I'll replace this other person you got. Let's do it. And then she signed on. I will say the stories I've heard. I mean, Isabella Johnny, her career has been, like, so challenging. I mean, yeah. she's such an incredible actress uh, and brings such depth to every role and such, well, intensity. It's not even necessarily depth. It's, like, just such intensity. But, um she was fairly young. Like I, you know, as much as she was like bringing on and ready for it. And she's very much like an artist as far as an actor, like she's ready to take on these extreme roles. I do wonder like whether she didn't have people who were like, Hey, you don't have to do this. It's not in the script or, you know, whatever, like her agent should have maybe stepped in a little more, um, mm -hmm. you know, and this film, it was, it, it was got a different time for sure. It was a different time and it it got banned fairly significantly and while they won awards and she won an award it that this isn't the film that like made her you know it made no. her in genre in some ways but like she didn't have to do all of that you know yeah. to like be where she ended up so I was no, reading was... that uh she like wanted to do it because she also knew that she wasn't going to be acting after this for a while um mm. for like parental reasons and things like that where she was like i just want to throw myself completely into this project and then i'm stepping away for a while um so sure. yeah yeah it's, it's interesting too because of how hard the film was to see for the longest time like uh there if you go back and look at certain uh, interviews of sam neill during different parts of his career he kind of treats this movie as being a lost film in some ways um so it's 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 interesting too that they you know, you never know what's going to happen with a movie after it's made. Right. Um, and um, it's uh, they, it's kind of the the relationship that both actors had with making this film very much sounds like that of an abusive relationship where they're doing things they might not have done in other circumstances because mm -hmm. they are kind of swept up in the. I don't know the right word, like the romance of making a film or whatever you want to do. You know, they're they're just so in it that yeah. they're not questioning some things that they probably should. Um, and it's like I, I think um, you know, content warning for anyone listening. I, I think I even read that uh, Isabel Johnny uh, tried to commit suicide shortly after making this movie as well. That's a rumor, and Zawowski is it a rumor? Okay. Well, Zawowski confirmed it, but he confirmed it. She never did. So I, you know, okay. like Zawowski, like. He wants. He wanted a re-release. You know, like that's part of the mm -hmm. legend of this film. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but or you know, could have been some self harm. I don't know because there's reports of that as well. But like, mm -hmm. um, I would take that. I don't know with a grain of salt. I mean, it was it was a very affecting film that was not did not feel good for its actors. Like that's mm -hmm. a safe statement. I think. Yeah. Um, but everything else is conjecture at this point. Yeah, I've not been able to find like how Ajani felt about like looking back how she feels about the movie. Um, you know, I've, I've found some 
articles with Sam Neill talking yeah. about it. And I mean, Johnny, so much happened to her afterwards. I mean, a decade later was the AIDS um, scandal mm-hmm. with her. Like she, uh, a newspaper reported that she had AIDS when she did not, and like um, as this sort of anti-AIDS like campaign, uh, AIDS being a stand-in for like anything queer or whatever. Um, so it's her career has been so full of like ups and downs and like scandals and difficulties that I'm not surprised that this would be like either something she didn't want to talk about or not even like register on her like you know within the breadth of her career yeah she's done so much oh yeah yeah Yeah, it's 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 interesting like the, the fact that there's just been this rediscovery on this and um one of the so kind of skipping all over the place you know there's that really famous scene of her uh in the subway um halls i don't know what to call it like it's a subway tunnel yeah in the subway tunnels Mm -hmm. and um and that just just truly like full body performance and so before i even saw this movie like i said i knew the broad strokes of what it was about um, but I, I remember there was a, there was a, a thing going around on the internet for a while where it was, it t- had that clip of that scene and it was like, you know, the worst performance ever put on screen. And it was just that I scene out that. of context. And even without having seen the movie or knowing anything about it, it just truly infuriated me. Oh, Because <laughs> even though I hadn't seen the movie yet, I knew that one, taking any performance out of context of what's what, what came before and what's going to mm-hmm. come afterwards is a fool's errand anyways but i remember just feeling really upset for a johnny and everything she went through for this role to just be registered just to be relegated as uh, a terrible performance from someone who probably hadn't even watched the movie and just heard about that clip and found it online and that scene is, was just even though i had seen that scene before Mm-hmm. watching it with the context of the rest of the film i was profoundly just struck with it it's really hypnotic for sure yeah eric can you talk about your first time seeing like that scene in context because you talked about this was like you know not your not your super entry point into like art cinema but definitely like a beginning point for you yeah like what was that like for you um well i mean like narratively this whole movie just keeps ramping up that is like kind of like probably the biggest peak moment for me crescendo yeah yeah the crescendo (laughs) of it all um but man it's just wild like you've never seen anything like that or i should say rarely see anything like that it's like it's so transcendental like uh both their performances in this film where it just feels so real and Mm -hmm. genuine um and then kind of what you're saying michael with like the whole like you know her just use of the body and stuff it's just it was super intense um i don't know like it, it sticks with you for sure yeah i always think of the milk like that just really it's so gross and weird yeah. and yeah. yeah it takes things that are just kind of normal like groceries and whatever and it just makes it completely disgusting <laughs> yeah that's a great way to put it totally yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha 
actually that's one thing uh, this entire movie does really well is it it takes scenarios and situations and settings that we're all familiar with in some way or another and just makes it strange it, commuting uh, with your groceries yeah yeah. yeah, like or just you know the 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 habitual state of their apartment and just yeah. being and Amanda was actually commenting on it. My wife Amanda, when we were watching it, that um, it actually kind of the apartment made her uncomfortable, not because it was messy, but because it almost wasn't messy enough. Yeah. Um, where she's like, it, it, it's it's very clearly a mess, but there aren't things in like piles in the corner and 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 things that feel like a lived in mess it mm-hmm. almost feels very orchestrated and in a way that just kind of makes you feel uncomfortable like every moment in this film just kind of makes me feel uncomfortable especially the way it uses settings mm-hmm. um you know whether it be a really small setting like their apartment that they share together or um or near the beginning when uh mark's being debriefed and how large of a a room that was with nothing in it Mm -hmm. and just the way that it uses its locations um it just takes the ordinary and subverts it in a way that i don't know even before anything truly started happening i just felt uncomfortable yeah they do a really good job of shot framing in that regard too yeah i um this film was also shot by hand with steadicam Mm -hmm. um which you can feel but like insane to me like i can't imagine uh being those cameramen like no yeah in in these like apartments and in that i mean that tunnel like walking in front of a johnny i would be like uh i don't want to get hit with this milk can we can we pause like cut real quick yeah or there's um there's just like little things like there's that scene with Mark when he's just extremely rocking in the chair oh, yeah. and the camera keeps rack focusing between him and her and the, they never cut the camera and um they never lose their focus either so even though the film feels chaotic um there's so much craft being put in on this or you know just having made stuff myself there's a lot to in mind of okay you can't step here or else you're going to be out of your light and you can't do this so mm-hmm. there's a lot of sometimes actors can feel kind of restrained and they never felt restrained in this movie there's i remember there's specifically a shot that i've been thinking about since i saw it of a 360 shot around mark when the camera is just chaotically moving around him and that's one thing about this movie the camera never stops moving no uh the camera's just moving around him and i've seen that shot before but it's usually like the actor's static but he's then turning the other direction while talking to someone on the phone and the things both moving in two different directions and the fact that they weren't cutting was just almost giving me a panic attack yeah Eric, can you talk about? I just want to change. I'm switching gears. I'm I'm no. currently in charge of this podcast. Um, <laughs> welcome to the Go Shameless Picture Show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming on as my guests. All right, you guys um, let me know when you need me. I'll be over here. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, can you? I know you you said that in the beginning. You thought that we both probably liked this movie. Can you talk about what you liked about it, or what you like? If you liked it the first time you saw it, or if that was something that grew, or like what what made this movie aside from it just being like crazy? You know, yeah. what made this movie stick with you? Um, I mean, there's a certain type of director I feel like they can pull something. It's magical, like you know mm-hmm. what, what what was pulled off here. Um, 
like you said, hypnotic is a word that comes to mind. I just love the narrative. I love the feeling of it's very rooted in what it's trying to do. Feelings of like isolation, separation, confusion. Um, I'm a big fan of like shot framing. So like even the way they blocked out the uh, cafe scene where like Sam Neill is kind of learning more about, mm. uh, you know, what his wife has been up to. They're not even looking where at each other. Where they're sitting separately. Yeah, it's like a triangle. I've been thinking about that scene all day, Eric. Thank yeah, you. Keep talking. Such a, but like, such a good yes. scene. And then like, yes. it just goes off the rails too, where like Sam Neill actually physically starts throwing chairs and like the people in the restaurant tackle him. It's, um, there's so much in this film. I think the thing that it's risky, it's, that's what it is. It's risky. And there's a lot that, uh, filmmakers just wouldn't go there. You know, and I think that's what I appreciate a lot about um, Andre's work in general is mm-hmm. like it's it confronts you for sure. The narratives are very um, aggressive. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's fascinating. So I love that it confronts you. That's such a good uh, description. I think of his work, all of it. Like yeah. having seen more of it, like that's yeah, that's it. Like. Um, I love that. Yeah, and that cafe scene, holy shit. I mean, like, the fact that they aren't sitting together was just perfect. The fact that they're both just sitting forward, staring off, and, like, not looking at anybody or each other. Um, so uncomfortable. So recognizable, even though I've never had, like, a breakup conversation not looking at the, you know, like, yeah, sitting it's, around it's a corner staged, from someone. But, like, staged, it's staged in a cool way. Yeah. Staged in a way that totally connects to how it feels to be in that conversation, right? Yes. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to yeah. look them in the eye. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to really confront them physically. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, fantastic. Uh, God, yeah. One thing that that really threw me at that scene as well is, one, as soon as they sat down, just, my, my wife remarked, she's like, oh, this is how we're going to have this conversation. Um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, of course. Uh, but one thing that I was just really taken aback by with that entire sequence is they, you know, they sat down in like these two corner seats and they have that those two really large mirrors behind them. Yeah. And the perspective of those mirrors is mm-hmm. fascinating because n- only once and it was when the camera moved very far to the side of Sam Neill that I ever see their reflections in that mirror. And knowing that it's a mirror, because I'm seeing other things that are in the scene, like there's a mm-hmm. woman having a coffee in the corner, and I can see her reflection. But not being able to see theirs um, made me very uncomfortable once again. Um, and I've been thinking about if that was intentional or not. It has to be with Zawowski, I would think. I mean, I know Eric was talking about before, like, the the way every scene is framed. And, Mike, you were talking about, like, the size of the rooms and how they're being filmed within the rooms. I also just think that it's a really beautiful mechanic to have a mirrored wall. Number one, because it's super hard to film. Like, you don't catch the camera. I'm sure there are shots. I mean, this movie was very low budget. So I'm sure there are shots where, like... And it was shot in 16 weeks. So, like, we didn't talk about that. But part of the abuse and stuff uh, is probably because they were like, we have to finish now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But uh, not only is it really difficult to film, but I love that you're focused on them. And you do see people, like, enter the frame from the cafe. But you couldn't tell that there were any other people in the cafe without those mirrors. Like, it really does fill out the scene without us being distracted by or focusing on those people. Because you see them in the mirror, and you're like, okay, that's just, like, that's local color, right? That's, like, someone in the cafe. They're not totally alone. They're having this very awkward conversation in public. But we're not distracted by people next to them or something. Um, And I think that was just a really beautiful way to fill out that setting. Um, 
without distracting from the central focal point. One of the things I've been trying to put together, too, is with that scene um, is I haven't quite figured out what I'm trying to say with this. I'm still working through it. But I do find it fascinating that through in that scene, other than a couple of very brief moments, even though they're sitting right up against those mirrors, I can't see their reflection. And I feel it's it feels very poetic considering how much of this film is about doppelgangers and not being able to see their own reflections and who they are in that moment versus who they become in the end of the film. Yeah, I guess. And I love um, I think that this film is the most so doppelgangers are something that come up all the time in Zawoski's film. Um, I don't know. He feels like he has some sort of paranoid thing about like somebody not being who they, you know, who you think they are, that there's a double out there of him. Uh, Doppelganger is obviously a very, like, Germanic Slavic, like, creature. It's a very, like, an idea that's kind of indigenous to those regions. But um, not that it only exists there, but, like, it's a very powerful idea Um, and shows up in a lot of Slavic film and some German films, but it's a German word, but, you know, um, a lot of mixing there. But he, I think that this film, he uses that motif the most, um, not only because like every character ends up being having a doppelganger, but also yes, the mirrors. There are other um, the the similarity between Heinrich and Sam Neill's uh, roles, and then how they're both pushed out of Isabella Johnny's life um, and Anna's life as she like falls more under the creature's spell or whatever, um, or or puts more creation into the creature. Um, I really think that this is like the most mature use of the doppelganger for Zawowski. Uh, and it does come out in every aspect of the movie, which is fascinating. Would 800 a month to Bob be enough? I suppose. Will you move in with him or keep the apartment? Yeah, keep it if you allow me to. I've decided not to see Bob. At all? At all. How can you say that? He's going to be fucked up enough as it is, and I don't want to fuck him up even more by playing Sunday Daddy. What were you to him, anyway? Precisely. But he knows you. He's used. He needs your... A real father, full-time. Well, I thought I could be coming out from the wars, so to speak. You say it's better with him than with me. I get more out of it. Tell me. I think what you want to do to Bob is... Inhuman? So what you're doing must be human. How long is it going to last? I don't know. One week, two weeks? And how do you dispose of ideas like, like honesty and loyalty? If I could only believe that it happened cleanly at first sight. Okay. It makes things easier. I was in his bed the first night I met him, if you have to know. What do you expect of me? Look what you're doing! No one is good or bad, but if you want, I'm that one. And if I knew he existed in this world, I would have never had Bob with you. question for you josephine mm-hmm. would you say that possession is one of his most popular films or most well-known i would say now it is like okay yeah 
probably because it's the English speaking one too. It's totally. probably got a, a little bit more in legs. the U. Yeah, and in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, he made um the the one what do you, Eric? Do you remember the one he made in France? Something about love. Yeah, love. it's it's a long title, and that movie's so yeah. amazing too. I really love it. It is. Yeah, but I think that that was. I mean, that was the reason they invited him back to Poland. That was the sure. one that won all the awards. Like I, I would say that's probably his most pop. Like it was his most popular, like his most famous one. Um, and then he started making these really weird, really difficult movies that were really popular with a subsection of people. But yeah, um, that um, yeah, what's the title? Uh, let's see here. The Was most important, most important thing. Yeah. The most important thing is love. Yeah. Now yeah. say it in French. Yeah. There's a <laughs> l'important cest de mer. Beautiful, gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> language of romance. Yeah, <laughs> nailed um, it. But- the reason I asked, though, so you, I think, I feel like for a lot of people, especially in the United States, possession is their entry, entry into yeah. this filmmaker. How did it feel for you, kind of going backwards? Um, did it take away from what possession is, or was it almost like this is the piece of the puzzle that I was missing? Uh, I mean, kind of walk me through what it was like for you because you came at it a very different way than me and Eric did. Yeah, I mean, so Zawowski, I've seen his movies. I'm not like a Zawowski fan. Not that I like dislike his movies, but I wasn't someone who was like, oh shit, I gotta watch every Zawowski movie. I gotta make sure, like, I see this. You know, he's not my one car Y, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not like hunting down Zawowski films. Um, he's just a very important Polish filmmaker. This movie for me, um, his movies are so Polish and so much about Poland. I mean, they're all like, the ones that I've seen, I actually haven't seen any of his like French language ones. Sorry, Zawowski. Um, or not all of them. I've seen parts, but like he, um, it being English really threw me for a loop and it starring Sam Neill, which I somehow yeah. didn't know. Like I, I really just walked into it and was like, Isabella Johnny, like I'm in. And then I was like, oh shit, Jurassic Park. Like what yeah, is yeah, this? Totally. <laughs> um, it was weird. I mean, it was, it was, you know, I was 27 when I saw this movie and it was weird. Um, having grown up on Jurassic Park, but, um, it's so that still was weird strange. at 33. Let me tell you. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's, I mean, I like it was rewatching it. I think we were rewatching it on the same shutter account, but um, <laughs> we were, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but you know, it was, it, it's, I don't know. It was, I didn't know what to expect. I did not know enough about this film to go into it. And the fact that it was in West Germany also threw me for a loop and in English for some reason. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I really have a good answer for that. I immediately could tell it was about Poland, even though it was in Germany. Um, But I did afterwards start looking up. I was like, what is his connection to Germany? Like, why did, and, and the fact that it was in West Germany just felt so important. But knowing that it's, he felt it was closest to Poland um, and that he couldn't have shot in East Germany. Like West Germany was the option. Um, and he does film it. Uh, every, every location is like next to the wall. And that was very important to the film. Um, and it was really about Poland and communist Poland. It wasn't about Germany or anything that happened there. It was about pol- communism in Poland. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. It was weird. It's a weird ass movie. Like it's so weird. If you know any like small any of these people, like Isabella Johnny in any other movie, Sam Neill, if you grew up with Jurassic Park, it's strange. Knowing yeah. Zawowski's a Polish director and he's doing this in English in West Germany is really bizarre. Um, the monsters are weird. Why the fuck is the kid's name Bob? Yeah, like what a terrible a, that's so German, but what yeah. a terrible name for a child. Like yeah. are you like I mean, I, I love, like, I love Bob's. I have Bob's in my life, but, like, 
Jesus. Every time, every time Isabel Johnny was like, what about Bob? I was like, that's a different movie. But also yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> this is like not a good children, child's name. Like this is just, you're, I'm being uh, taken and, and out of the film. This is the second time. horror movie I can think of that has Bob as a, as a, as a name for What's a child. A uh, House by the Cemetery. Oh, oh yeah. Have I seen that? <laughs> You uh, should. Maybe. Yeah, it's a good okay, one. Okay, I'll put it on the list. Yeah. But it's one of Lucio Fulci's weirder, weirder films, oh, okay. and the kid has this really sh- like he's very poorly dubbed. Um, actually, everyone is, but you yeah. just they're like Bob, Bob. It's it's. I love that. It, yeah, I almost feel like that's just the now gateway to make a uh, unsettling character's name a child Bob. It's um, yeah. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about, though, Josephine, since you have far more experience in Polish cinema than me or Eric, me and Eric were talking about that, but neither of us are that well um, versed in Polish cinema. You keep uh, stating that um, this film is is very Polish. Oh my God, you're going to make me prove how it's Polish now? No, no, I'm just curious (laughs) where you're coming from with that. Um, Teach me something, damn it. Okay, so the thing about Poland... I mean, there's so many things about Poland. I just did. I was like just talking about this this week. Um, So for like a hundred years in Poland, uh, there were so many armed conflicts that it like permanently um, in the Polish region. It wasn't just Poland. It was just like the entire region. There are so many armed conflicts, meaning like military engagements between countries, between um, states, between whatever, like two villages that it like permanently lowered the population's life expectancy for like generations um and I'm, I'm talking about world war ii i'm talking about before world war ii like it was just this shit was just ongoing this was like i mean we don't talk about the region it's like a war-torn region but like it was fucked up uh, my great-grandfather was press ganged into two different sides of a conflict like a couple years apart so like he was in one army and then he was like oh shit i got away and then like they showed he they showed up at the bar like a couple years later the other side and they were like you're back in the army and like now you're fighting them um, that's what Poland was like for a lot of years. Uh, World War II obviously was a huge bummer for everyone involved, but especially Poland. Um, and you see that in Polish art, like there's so much trauma in Poland and so many people died and it's also so repressed, like the Polish Catholicism I could go on about forever, but like the way that this incredibly nationalistic country that didn't exist for a lot of European history as like an organized state, uh, just more as an idea, um, the way that they also tie that to Catholicism, which is an incredibly repressive religion, like, sorry to all the Catholics that I know, but, and the Catholics who raised me, but like, you know, Poland has issues with gay people, has issues with women, has issues with people of color, like has issues with immigrants, like, Poland is a really challenging place for anybody and that like drips into every facet of the culture in a way that's like very the only analogy I can think of is like our conversations about toxic masculinity in the United States that's like everybody in Poland has toxic masculinity in a different way so they're like I don't know like women hate other women like gay people hate other gay people because they're too gay publicly like that that's like my been my experiences like with other Polish people um, and like what you have to grow out of as like a Polish person. And on top of that, the government is like reinforcing all of that. So, um, so basically we're all just trauma babies uh, who like are incredibly repressed by, by the government, but like Poland is really important as an idea and as a country and must exist. And so like, you're constantly fighting that like in your, like the little Polish part of your brain. And I think that, this movie is about Zawowski loves Poland. 
because every Polish person does. It's like a very important thing. It should exist. We all love it. But it's like horrible to us uh, as like a governmental entity. And, you know, we're kind of terrible to each other in a lot of ways uh, to generalize. So that's like my little anti-Polish rant. I can't wait for like all of Poland to come for me. But like, that's like every film. Like, I mean, The Lure is about, uh, which is a movie you were talking about earlier, Michael, by Agnieszka Mm -hmm. Smoczynska. That's about uh, young girls being victimized by other people, but then also um, victimizing themselves and like really um, struggling against this culture that's very sexualized, but can't be sexual up front. And nobody can get their needs met. Like that's what uh, like Polish Roman Catholic culture feels like. And then you have the government like controlling everything really strictly. And things are different now. And the Polish, um, they just had an election and it is moving things forward quite a bit. And there's a lot of like positive in Poland. I was talking this week about like the labor history, which is they have some of the oldest labor um, conflicts in Europe. And they progress things very quickly in some ways, but I don't know. Sorry. Now I feel like I'm just rambling, but (laughs) to be Polish is to suffer and then to eat a bunch of pierogies and like feel a lot better and happy again. So (laughs) on this film, I mean, sausage, the the sausage making in this movie. So fucking Polish. I'm also, so my grandmother's German. So like I I felt this movie like twice, Um, but (laughs) like the fucking sausage making, like that is like weird. It yeah. was okay, but that's like yeah. I don't. Did you grow up? I don't know, Eric, what your background is, but did your like grandparents and parents have a sausage maker? Like no, like I've never, family? I've never experienced that one. But, okay, so like yeah. all of my family members like have this sausage maker. It's always a hand crank. You can get like the electric one, but like uh, you have to work for your food and you have to suffer. So like you can't sure. get you gotta like crank it by hand. Yeah, and that's how you show the love because the only way that you can show the love is by like making really flavorless Polish food. Sorry, this is like, I do love being Polish. But that scene was so good and so Polish because she is like trying to provide for both her households that she set up there. And she's doing it even though she doesn't fucking want to have one household. Like clearly she doesn't want to be like this role. And she's just like cramming this meat into this terrifying sausage grinder that we know in any other horror film is going to be like fingers and tongues, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. any yeah. any minute. Um, the tension there was beautiful. It really felt like, uh, you know, one of your family members yelling at you while they're making you dinner very aggressively. Like that was like a very core memory to me. Um, and I think to a lot of viewers who have a similar background. Yeah, that scene, that scene um, was interesting because everything you just said, but then I, I've, I, I hadn't, hadn't sunk in until just now um, of just how much sadness is being done with everything because you i hadn't thought of it until you just mentioned it she's trying to provide for two different families Mm -hmm. and i kind of forget about the other family being you know this creature or whatever she's growing or we could talk about our theories on that because i'm still working through that um as being a separate family because up until uh that subway scene and then when she leases out another apartment i was still viewing that whenever she was talking about him or you know or mark would be like you're with him they'd always talk about this 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 third person i in the film made me constantly just think it was it was heinrich i think you were supposed to i think it was a yeah yeah um and i hadn't kind of went since i've only seen this the one time probably watching this movie again anytime they make reference to that it, there's going to be this whole other weight to it because we don't know if it's Heinrich that that she's claiming to be spending all her time with. We don't know. 
he doesn't know, like Heinrich doesn't even know what she's up to. And just that exhausted feeling of that scene when she, when, you know, Mark feel like he has this superior high ground to her and she's just exhausted, doesn't want to make dinner, but is going to, and just needs to supply for, uh, uh, supply food for this, this, uh, husband and this kid that she doesn't really want. Um, so she can go then take care of this other creature that she also doesn't might. I don't know how she feels about the creature. Um, but she just feels like she's stretched thin. Yeah. And it's just, it, like you said, it reminds me not necessarily of, uh, of, um, my, my direct family, but I've definitely been to like holiday get togethers when there is someone who has been working the entire fucking night and just wants to be done but also doesn't want to admit that and wants to still still supply for people. Have we have we watched the bear? Has everyone yes. watched the bear? No. I was but, uh, I was yeah, thinking yeah. of I, I know what's up so you're talking Lee about. Jamie Curtis, Eric, if you if you choose to watch the bear, which it, I think it's a great show but it is incredibly stressful. I don't usually recommend it for people just because like if you have worked in a kitchen or like have any family trauma, it's like it's going to bring you right back there. But Jamie Lee Curtis's performance is Isabella Johnny making sausage for an sure. hour. And it's incredible. And it's the most distressing thing I've ever watched. Like more distressing than this film. <laughs> uh, but totally made me think of like, that's what it is, right, Mike? It's like Christmas dinner mm-hmm. when mom or grandma or auntie are like doing everything and, you know, won't accept help, isn't getting help. Like, you know, it's. But then complains that they're not getting yes, help. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's layers, right? It's like layers of mm-hmm. things. Um but yeah, totally, uh, totally stressful. Excuse me. How long does this get to last? Excuse me. I'm talking to you. this way. What have I done that you hate me so much? Nothing. Huh? I deserve off this. It. No. Get off it. Told you get off. Coming get around. off. Get off. This is disgusting. Yes. Look what we've become. Yes. Talk to me. I don't want you to be like this. You know, when I'm away from you, I think of you as, a, as, a, as an animal or a woman possessed, and then, and then I see you again, and all this disappears. You must try and help me. Tell me. Maybe you will help. Are you happy? Do you love him? Does he love you? You want to live together and, 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 and have a family and am I in your way and Bob too? There is something else you must tell me. What are you afraid to tell me? Are you afraid of me? Are, are, you, are you afraid I'll get mad again? Anna, help me. Ah! Oh, oh, God. Ah! 
<laughs> yeah, should we talk about the creature? I don't know, Eric. Where do yes. you, Eric? You're in charge of this podcast now. I was going to say, yeah, no. What's um, next? Well, even going back to kind of like, I feel like the accessibility of this film. Mm. The creature thing definitely has that body horror vibe to me, like almost like in a Cronenbergian way. Yes. Um, so I feel like that's always something that people kind of respond to with this is, you know, um, playing out more like a general horror horror film. But I was curious and I wanted to ask you both like where you thought the origins of the creature, you know, like what, what do you think where it came from? Cause it's very like, uh, I mean, I do feel, feel like there is like kind of a loose answer to that, but um, it's also very ambiguous and kind of just shows up randomly too. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I feel like to answer that, you, you you need to first figure out in your heart of hearts if you believe the creature's real or not. Sure. Oh, yeah. Because uh, if you don't think the creature's real, then she talks quite a bit about, um, you know, everyone talks quite a bit about religion and, uh, you know, the idea of, like, I think she says faith and chance, I think are the two, like, that she, she's referencing. Um and if if the if you believe the creature is not actually there and is not real, um, you know it's it's an amalgamation of all these hard feelings and um, stress and just vileness that she's got built up inside of her that comes out as a um, proverbial creature. Now, if you believe the creature is real, which when, the first time I watched it, I didn't even consider it. I didn't. I didn't even consider a world in which the creature wasn't real mm-hmm. because when I'm watching a horror film, I assume everything that on screen is actually Face happening. Um, then I don't know. You know, it's one. Uh, you could still because the creature. You don't see the creature ever before she has that scene in the subway. So you could argue the creature came from within her. But you know where? It's like some cosmic horror bullshit. Who knows? Eric, what do you think? I'm curious. I did think it was like a inception of because like um, Mark was gone for a really long time. He's like a spy, so yeah, yeah. Her her relationship was pretty empty. So like in my mind, she had a lot of time to ruminate on things that she was disappointed about, or even the feelings of cheating on Mark with Heinrich. Um, mm-hmm. It's more of like a madness manifestation of all the stress and guilt and um and then it kind of almost in a weird way was like sort of like a child that she admitted she didn't she wouldn't have had bob with mark she would have rather had a child with heinrich to possibly piss mark off more but like yeah essentially she's forming this thing too or helping it form itself um so yeah, it kind of had this weird like child, like motherly, like you know, like I need to finish what I started kind of thing sure. with it. So, which I think is fitting too, because I think I do think this film. Um, I was discussing this with a colleague earlier, and like, I don't think it's a movie necessarily about gender roles. I think it's a movie about roles within a marriage, and mm-hmm. I think that in order to be a wife, you need a husband. In order to be a husband to provide for someone, you need that someone to be the wife who's who's doing something with what you're providing. And I think that she was trying to replace Mark' uh, role inside this gender, this uh, role that she didn't even want. You know, as you can yeah. see in the sausage scene, um, and she, you know, fucks it up. Like the doppelgangers kill them because, uh, and they accept their predestined roles, which I also think is kind of a Polish. I mean, I, I, every culture has their like roles that you're jammed into, but. Um, 
the idea of homemaker provider uh, is a very like postmodernist uh, Polish thing um, in, in the culture. I just want to contextually, I, I mean, I, I think it's more fun if the creature's real. Like, I, yeah. I've never been a huge fan Same. of the, like, it's in their head. Like, unless it's going to be, like, a really major plot point. Um, that's not, like, a shocking, like, ambiguous twist for me to, like, think about. Um, I also think it's, like, sexier if it's real. Because, like, those sex scenes were, like, sorry, those were hot. Like, that was good. That was well <laughs> done. Uh, I was shocked. I was, like, ready to be disgusted. And I was, like, oh, I'm, like, in public watching this? Okay. Did this awaken something? In uh, I mean, no, it was there, Mike. This is a this was a just a public uh, display of something that was already latent within me. But um, but I to put it, you know, I love Slavic. I mean, I'm Slavic. I do like being Slavic as much as I just gave us like horrible anti Polish rant earlier. That's gonna like get me canceled. Um, I love Slavic folklore, and in Slavic folklore, one of the things I love is that the assigned women like roles. Um, aren't necessarily creators. They are nurturers, but they don't like give birth to monsters. That's a very like those are that's from other cultures. Um, but they do discover things in the woods, or they nurture things that they find that they bring home with them, uh, like a lost child or an egg that hatches into a, the perfect baby they just found somewhere. They're like, let's bring this home and like let's fucking make this into something, uh, which is nuts. Don't do that. Like that's a horror film. But um you know i i like to think she found this kid in the woods this or, or this you know half-formed man type creature and then had sex with it like that's really slavic to me and i love that and i i don't you know i don't think that it's from her like the idea of, like um the idea of like bodily producing something is not like innately female in slavic yeah. folklore and I love, like, the idea that, no, like, she didn't, like, give birth to this. She, like, found something and, and then like, nurtured, nurtured it. it into yeah. what she thought she needed. Um, and what she, I think she does find out it is not what she wanted or needed, but too late, like, Bob's shooting you. Um, yeah. You know, which, as he should, like, uh, that kid, poor kid. I mean, is it weird, too? Like, I could be totally misunderstanding this, but, like, it kind of felt like an odd gender roles thing that was being spoken to too because you got this creature that's super horrific mm-hmm. that produces another sam neil which is mm-hmm. kind of like the you know um creator of doom with the other version of anna mm-hmm. who just so happens to be like a friendly school teacher and it didn't come from a really gross totally. place of murder and hate at all <laughs> like <laughs> i no, i love that no i actually do love that i mean i, I think there are gender roles in the film right but um uh, I was the other thing we talked about with I was talking about with my coworker too was that this film feels very um, anti his ex wife but not anti women like yeah. it doesn't feel mm-hmm. miso- like deeply misogynistic it just feels like he was real pissed at his wife yeah about the situation totally but like I I think gender roles are definitely there and again reinforce that like Polish Roman Catholic background yeah. like men are masculine and men and they are fighters and they come from the trauma of war you know, as much as i was talking about like the war-torn nature of of that region um the women certainly went through it but the men were the ones who were being sent to fight um so like that is their background and the women survived and they 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 got shit done and they brought in the harvest every year and that was like a different kind of trauma a different kind of issue but um yeah certainly they're the friendly faces the nice school teachers i'm i'm just still thinking about what you said that uh um the movie feels like it's it's uh anti his ex-wife but not anti-woman and uh, now i'm just 
you know, thinking, oh, Zulowski's um, thesis statement, women can't live with them, can't live without them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make a new one if we need to. Um, I mean, it is weird, though, because, like, the character Anna, she does have a lot of power to her, especially mm-hmm. that she's manipulating these men and oh, yeah. also creating this weird fucked up thing that ends up kind of destroying humanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I also think, um, I mean, that's not unique to slavic like stories but that's so not just that not necessarily the manipulation but definitely like creating and like pushing people to their limits i'm really i'm really into baba yaga um michael knows this and that is baba yaga's role um and i won't say that baba yaga is like arch feminine in the way that like we would explore femininity in other fairy tales but like she's a woman she's a she uh she's a witch she's the devil and um she manipulates but the way she manipulates brings out something very powerful in whoever she's interacting with and whether that's like suicidal murderous rage that's gonna get you fucked up and like end your life you know she might nurture that but she also might nurture incredible strength and that's that is a a, like dark feminine power in slavic mythology um, and I love that. I love that it comes out here. Uh, what, I don't think he's like trying. I don't think he was like studying folklore and like trying to fit these things in. But I think it's something uh, that we are raised with in those cultures. Sure. Um, that is trickling into the story. Certainly. Yeah, that's a cool idea. From now on, she know how much right to sing. And she will. She's got in her to say, I, I can do as well. I can be better. I'm the best. Only in this case can she become success. Nobody told me that. Well, that's why I'm with you. Because you say I for me. Because you say I for me. I've still been um, sitting here ruminating about um, the the doppelganger idea because I thought it was such a bolt before before we knew what this creature was to become. In the end, it's such a bold choice to cast uh, a Johnny as playing a different character in this. You know, like the pol- a, a kind of a polar opposite of of Anna. And I've just been thinking about the ending quite a bit, where um, you know Mark and Anna are essentially killed by their newer selves. They're newer and better. Then they're they're yeah they're 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 better selves I guess as you said, and um, you know it's it almost has me think like it's such a dark ending but in this very moment I'm almost thinking was was he was Zubowski potentially hopeful for the future in that ending <laughs> you know you you shed your you shed your your former terrible self. And become hopefully a better version of yourself afterwards. Eric's no, shaking I, his head. I, I, uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, I think like it kind of goes back to his personal experience with his divorce, where like um, the two doppelgangers kind of represent which either character thought was gonna be the best version of themselves. But okay. even yes. with those people meeting, it was still problematic, and it was never gonna work. Their relationship was never gonna be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of just went to the like almost the cartoonishly extreme of like hearing things crashing outside and like what feels like the world's completely ending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I also want to say um, doppelganger, the use of doppelgangers here. So have you guys seen the, the double live Veronique? 
Yes, that's yeah. a great movie. So yeah. that's that's uh, Ukrainian. I can't remember Czech. It's, I think it's, it's Polish too. Is it? Pol- it? It's a Polish director. I couldn't oh, remember okay. where it was actually yeah, yeah, yeah. made, but I got you. I, yeah. It is a Polish director because that was on my little list of Polish directors. Um, but yeah, so that movie's about a doppelganger. Um, and doppelgangers also show up in Zawowski's other movies. Tarkovsky, um, both Stalker and Solaris, deal with doppelgangers. But in all of those movies and in traditional doppelganger lore, the doppelganger shows up either after the person who they look like and, are, and seem like died or they've exited the story. Um, or like in, in German folklore, a doppelganger is exists at the same time as you and they're going to hunt you down and replace you. Like that's that's the fear. But um, in this film, doppelgangers are being created and then replace, like kill and replace who they're supposed mm-hmm. to. And that's very traditional to the to like the folklore. But in cinema, that was kind of a new idea, newer idea in like Slavic cinema to explore because like Double Life of Veronique, she dies in the beginning, like you know, partway through the movie, and then is like, and then we follow the other, the other, mm-hmm. you know, the the other doppelganger um, as the main character and like. That is very much more common. In Solaris, um, the wife is dead or she's gone, whatever. And then she show, starts showing up when the when the original wife has like left the picture. So um, this is a very different use of doppelganger in in like Slavic cinema. And it's interesting and it's very monster movie. Um, like this is a true horror film, which I love. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, beautifully said. Um, and... One thing I have to say too, so we've we've talked quite a bit about, and we can start wrapping up shortly if we're running out of steam. But one one thing that I I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention. So we've talked quite a bit about just how crazy this movie can be. But I, I one thing I truly was not expecting was for it to. I was not expecting for it to become a full blown action movie by the end. Oh of this. yeah, yeah. Like out of out of a all the surprising, thriller. yeah, out of all the surprising and jaw dropping things that I've seen, that was still the one that felt like it came the most out of out of uh, left field. Uh, was not expecting for especially for how cheap this movie was made for it to have so many explosions. I was not expecting a like a full out, uh, you know, firefight. I was not expecting a really kind of beautiful chase up those wonderful stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, I just. I kind of forgot about that Mark was even a spy or something to do with the government yeah. until that moment when it became a James Bond film for some reason. And I, I just think that's kind of beautiful that there, there are movies still being made where, or there were movies being made once upon a time where just any whim that you had just kind of threw it against the wall and see what stuck. I mean, I think that's very Zawofsky, but I also think that that, um, I think that that ending also, it signaled the perfect death for Sam Neill's character, but mm-hmm. um, it's idealized, right? It's like, he was a spy, he came back, he seemed to have done a shitty job, like, based on the meetings he was having, but now he gets this, like, great ending, like, right, the he gets this dramatic... second chance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the second chance at, like, being the spy, you know, like, a real spy, like a James Bond. And the weird part, too, is also kind of being a protector of this creature, because there's, like, that point where he just, like, accepts... Yes. The, he's like, oh, sh-, you know, this crazy thing is happening you're saying you need to finish it i'm gonna help you finish it for whatever reason <laughs> and and kind of protected uh you know anna's needs through the end of the film yeah i mean and he gets to go out a hero right for that reason yeah. um yeah. Mm-hmm. totally that's yeah um yeah 
so I thought I think it you know it made sense I don't think it was just like a random um genre switch but I think it was I mean and also if you do want to follow the like is the doppelganger real did that really happen or was he like mugged on the street and got shot you know what I mean like that mm-hmm. could easily be another portion where it's like oh like you know this was made up like this was in his head yeah like um, dream state kind of stuff yeah um there's also a theory so when Bob um you know Bob drowns himself unfortunately uh in the film uh content warning child death like very casually should, should, yeah should have content warned that yeah it was it was bad but there's like there's like a fan theory that like that chase scene is like his dying vision um about his father who was like missing up to the you know a, a heroic spy up to this point in his life um which you know that's interesting i don't love it i don't love, i mean the child death was superfluous to me it's, it's interesting too because i honestly didn't read that as 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 a moment of suicide i was thinking back to earlier in this in the movie when mark and bob were in the tub and bob's just holding his breath and uh at one point bob asks asks him like how long was that and mark wasn't even counting he goes oh for a very long time i figured it was his way of kind of hiding from the world um because because it was so casual the way he did it i just (laughs) to me it felt like his equivalent of hide underneath the bed. I thought that it was neglect. Like I didn't. I mean, the the Wikipedia like summary makes it sound like, oh yes, he killed himself. And I'm like, that's like so. That's like how. Um, I don't know. That just reads as really fucked up. Like we're not going to accept the fact that we neglected this child to death. Um, he gallantly killed himself instead. Uh, I don't know. It was just. It was a really fucked up thing to read, but. It was I, like it, it just seemed like neglect. Like he just accidentally drowned in the bathtub, um, you know. And that I me. could that I I could believe more. Like yeah. maybe it started off the way that I I thought, and then he just didn't come back up. For exactly. Just, yeah. Exactly. I didn't I didn't view it as like he can't handle this it, anymore, so he's ending yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. like is yeah that um, one of them is like making him responsible for his the tragic end and making his shitty ass parents responsible and i think the second one is true like Mm -hmm. his parents sucked uh poor bob and his babysitter like what the fuck was she like babysitter slash sam's like booty call like sam Sam being sorry mark yeah anna like what you're not even a good doppelganger you suck at this like you're supposed to be the better (laughs) one you're supposed to be the perfect one and this child's dead um, I wouldn't hire her as a babysitter personally. I don't have kids, but you know, if I did, she's not who no. I would choose. No, I feel like you can you could find a service that would do better than that. I think I hope so. <laughs> All but right, really look like my ex wife. <laughs> was there anything else you guys wanted to talk about with possession before we move on to our thrill house moment of the episode? Um, I yes, do yes. have one minor thing I just want to of talk course. about. We don't need to dive into it deep because it's talking about a whole another movie. But have either of you seen The Untamed? No, but you told me about it earlier so. today. Because Andre... Uh, actually, I think you have, Josephine, because you wait. rated it on Litterboxd. I you love it. You. I'm looking it up right now. One minute. Wait, <laughs> why? This is like a Chinese movie. What? Who directed it? I'm Googling he, it. Uh, it was, a, I think, a Mexican film, if I'm not Oh, I, I, the one I looked up Spanish. was a Pol- I think I had a Polish name. Oh my god, I know the Untamed. No, yeah. yes, I. Holy shit, yes. Continue. Sorry, I like oh, it was, really bad. Was with Spanish. Oh. I was Go. just gonna say it's um. Go. It was a uh, 
directly like credited like influenced by this film um and that's kind of like i guess as far as i wanted to go with it but uh kind of interesting too in its own way you don't want me to like talk in depth about tentacle uh there's a again. lot of that in that one it just like, goes I, for let's it go. yeah yeah um, it, it goes for it in that one for oh sure. man it uh that yeah. movie is so good and has the exact same i'm we're getting into it, eric sorry we're gonna go into okay, it we're okay. getting deep um <laughs> they it has the exact same tension to me because like um so with that, with the sausage scene in, in Possession and so many of the scenes in this film, you know something horrifying is about to happen and you're like waiting for it to happen on screen, right? And it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like her fingers never go into the sausage, not really, the, into the grinder. Um, you know, not really. Uh, not not like accidentally. And then um, in The Untamed, like you see this like, you know that people get hurt, but you don't see it. You, like, you don't really see the, like, sex. Like, you see parts of it, but, like, it's not the same. Um, it, there's always, like, a good lead-in to where you know what's about to happen. Yeah. Um, but you're expecting it to just be, like, fucking, like, you're, expect, you're like, waiting for something so horrifying to happen that you're never going to forget it. And you'll be, like, awake thinking about it. And it never really happens. And that's so well done. There is so that well one done. moment, at least. Well, no, like, there, there are but, moments. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, but, but uh, just the lead yeah, up. I know what like, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, the tension. like it, 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 And it never releases the tension. Like There's if, a lot of weird moments, too, that kind of mm-hmm. go unanswered, which is yes. yeah, interesting in it, too. Totally. No, 100%. Um, I And yeah, I love that. Uh, and you also have no idea what the fuck is going on. Like, in Possession, as much as we know, okay, this is about a marriage. Like, we don't know, like, who was he spying for? Like, what was his actual job? Why are they after him? Like... Yeah. Um, who is the neighbor lady who he sleeps with and clearly like was also Anna's best friend? Like, what is the deal there? Yeah. In and in the Untamed, it's like, who is this couple? Where did this creature actually come from? Like, what the you know? Why are, why was the the first instinct of all these people to have sex with it? Like, so many unanswered questions that they, yeah. they're just like, we're not gonna. That's not what this movie's about. We're not about answering questions here. We're about getting you to watch some fucked up shit, and feeling really tense. Yeah. But yeah, another another weird one for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, last thing I'm going to ask before <laughs> that was a before... great. Yeah, that was a great lead in. Sorry, Mike. Say, God, sorry to ruin guys... that film for you. Uh, yeah. People have no. If anything, you maybe want to watch sex. it more. So it's very adjacent to this whole whole thing. Yeah, too, which is yeah. it's gross. Yeah, and that's why I like. Do you have uh, Joseph? And this this question is specifically for you, since you know you you are a fan of Polish cinema. Before we wrap up with our Thrill House moment, is there any Polish films you recommend people should see if they want to get more into Polish, Polish films? Well, I know I you'd recommended some on Instagram. That's a good. Question. I know. I just did like a whole like I just did a whole thing. Um, so one thing you should know about me that I'm just gonna put in this podcast since I'm already on this like anti-Polish stint. Uh, fuck Roman Polanski. He is not like the the second coming in Polish cinema. He did he did a couple of movies that were cool and important. Uh, but fuck him, like fuck him. There's so many other directors. Uh, and whenever you talk to someone about Polish cinema, they're like, "Oh shit, we should let Roman Polanski come home." And I'm like, "No, we shouldn't. Like, we should throw his ass in jail." But like, that's my first thing. So like, fuck Roman Polanski. Hate that guy. Whatever. Um, that being said, Andrew Andre Wada who is the person who, like, brought up Zawofsky. He was the person who, like, taught Zawofsky how to make films and taught a lot of his generation how to make cinema. Like, that is the father of Polish cinema, uh, modern okay. Polish cinema. So, like, that's where you got to start. Agnieszka Holland is, is, uh, was, like, another person who was brought up under WADA. She actually worked on, the, on Treme, 
um, the TV show. Oh, sure. So that was like her introduction into United in the United States television. But she also got banned in Poland um, for a film that she made uh, criticizing the lack of social programs in communist Poland. Um, is about a woman and her son living on the train tracks, essentially, uh, and not being cared for and having really fucked up things happen to them. Um, so, like, her, so Holland, she's great. Um, but I'm also just going to recommend um, Martin Vrona's uh, Demon. That's a Polish film that was incredible and is about, I think, really embodies... Um, Oh, is that the wedding one? Yes. Yeah, that one's cool. So good. And it really embodies um, a growing sense in modern Polish cinema of mutual culpability within communities. Um, That movie's about guilt and about um, community failures and murder. Um, And delves into some very difficult stuff. uh, And there's a really tragic backstory to it with the director and just the making of the film. And I, um, I love that film. I've, I've rewatched it a couple of times, but I think it really taps into something. Um, as much as I was like very down on my Polish identity, one thing that is happening now is this real conversation about how mutually culpable uh, everyone is. Like, like the the shitty Polish government didn't just happen to everyone. Like, we installed it and we supported it. Um, these like very repressive ideas we're enforcing and pushing on our children. Like, that's a real conversation in Polish art right now. Um, and then, of course, Agnieszka Smoczynska. Um, she, of course, did The Lure, which is fantastic. She also did a short in the HBO series uh, Field Guide to Horror. At least I think it was HBO. Maybe it was like Hulu, but whatever. She has a little short in there. It's about uh, Polish vampires, which is an obsession of mine. So, yeah, that's that's where you start. All right. Like, there you go. That's your homework. Everyone. There you go. Good luck looking up and spelling any of those names. R.I.P. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Because uh, I'm going to have to do some research myself when I cut this together so I can try to write those names down. <laughs> I can give you spellings. Perfect. All right. So um, as is customary when I remember to do it on this show, uh, we do something called the Thrill House moment, which is your kind of your lock-in moment, the moment that uh, um, best of your ability when you first saw it or uh, that kind of sold you that, you know, I'm into this movie. Uh, it can be something small, it can be something big, whatever your moment was. Uh, Josephine, let's start with you. Uh, it's that sausage making scene. That was it. That was, I mean, the movie, so like the movie uh, is about a marriage failing. My parents are divorced. Uh, I've been in failing relationships. I watched this movie and I was like, God, it's like two hours long. Do I really want to sit through this fucking, like rewatch like the failure of another relationship? But that sausage scene, that was it. Like. I was like, oh, this is this is bringing that te- like the real tension. Loved it. No, that's perfect. How about you, Eric? Do you have one? I was probably even easily, <laughs> more easily drawn in. Um, that first phone conversation between Mark and Anna just really hooks me because, uh, like, already there was so much tension, and then probably just got even more solidified when they finally met up in person for the first time and, and hashed that all out at the cafe. Yeah, I would say for me, it's it's my instinct to say the cafe scene, but I actually think it might be Mark's bender. Um, oh yeah, that's a good one too. But then, but but not 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 the scene itself, but more so the aftermath of when he goes back to the apartment and realizes that 
Bob's been alone. He, Bob's been alone, and he he should probably do something about it. Did we? And he stops being selfish about it long enough to try to take care of that fucking kid. Yeah. That scene was from Zawowski's life. The jam scene with the child. I read that, yes. That was something that he, he supposedly really came home and his, his ex-wife, was wife at that time, was out somewhere and had left their child. And he came home to his child smeared in jam because like they had been trying to feed themselves. That was mm-hmm. Xavier, his son. Um, fucked up. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, because from that moment um, and then the scene that follows with him and Ajani... Um, you know, when he's just crazily rocking in that chair where I thought he was going to flip himself. Um, he has a different, um, I don't want to say lease on life because that gives him way too much credit, but he has a different perspective where he's um, he's not completely giving up. He's trying. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if anything, for trying for his son. Yeah. yeah. But he's a shitty dad. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, man. He tried, but... Oh, I'm I'm not arguing that at yeah, all. Yeah. <laughs> he, is a, he is. They are not good parents, Parents and he is not, not a good, good dad. Parents. No. Um, but and then this this is just a moment that made me laugh. The first time the neighbor lady walked up and you saw the cast and yeah. just her, her, her <laughs> trying to walk with that cast on. Uh, Such a good I just detail. Thought, Such a weird good detail. I I, I loved it because it's like I just I want to know more about that detail. <laughs> I also love the uh, first introduction of Heinrich and how good he was at martial arts. Yes. Oh my god, he's yes. Like proto like stepdad who's better than you. Like that yeah. was you know what I mean? Like absolute like trope. Like, oh, he's like bought your son a boat and is good at martial arts and like is well dressed. You, you know who that character reminded me of? Has anyone here seen The Money Pit? Yeah. With Tom Hanks. Yeah. No. Well, uh Alexander Gudinoff plays a character that is pretty much uh Heinrich, but in a Tom Hanks movie, yeah, that's, it's a good yeah, comparison. They, 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 their their way they perform the role is exactly the same. Mm. Yeah, and it's if you just t- took a Heinrich and put him in a comedy with Tom Hanks, that is exactly that's the it. Film. Yeah, I was just thinking of like the the eighties and nineties, like Mrs. Doubtfire, like uh, you know, the better stepdad. That's like such a trope from that era. Um, where stepmothers are evil, but the stepdad is like the the provider, the you know the fun guy, yeah, yeah. etc. I love that your your point of reference was Mrs. Delphi. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> like, Gotta get the wrong. Your stepdad together. was James Bond, of course. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, stepdad's rule as someone with like an excellent stepfather. Um, <laughs> hell yeah, Heinrich, Team Heinrich. Yeah. Poor Heinrich too. God, yeah. nobody oh, in that Heinrich, movie was okay. Like and Heinrich's mother, up. Heinrich's mother oh. just yeah. like she knew that he was not he he was a piece of shit, but it, he was her piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the last thing I'll say before I wrap up for real this time the 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 line that just lives rent free in my brain um, was when Mark confronted Heinrich and um, he's like. Is your mother here when you're fucking my wife? And he goes, of course. Yeah. Like, where else would she be? <laughs> that also, I mean, not to be like, everything is going to be so fucking Slavic, but like, where is she going to go? Like, you live yeah. with your mom until you're married and after that, because then she, you need someone to take care of her. Uh, yeah. yeah. She makes I don't, I don't really have too. a favorite character, but Heinrich would be my favorite character if I had one. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, thank you everyone for joining in. Uh, before I um, 
before I end this, is there anything you want to tell people about that you want to pitch or talk about again before we wrap up? Anything going on in your professional lives that you're excited about? I hear like professional lives. I was like, well, I have a new hobby. Uh, What's your hobby? No, I don't really. It was a lie. I don't have hobbies. (laughs) All I do is write. You make soup too. Yeah, I make soup. I I follow your Instagram. It's borscht weather. So good. I've never had borscht. I'm going to have to come over Ah, and try it. I'll make you some borscht. I'll make you some Bigos. (laughs) Hunter stew. I make it with mushrooms though because I'm like a mushroom hunter because I'm vegan, but... That's the other thing. Vegan Poland, like, doesn't exist. It's hard. It's hard (laughs) out here. Like, not eating pig. Like, you can not eat any meat, but pig, like, you're not Polish anymore. You're done. (laughs) You're done ski. How about you, Eric? Anything you got? Nah, I mean, just living living life, man. But, uh, I mean, I I really (laughs) appreciated being able to hang out and and talk about this with you both. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. That's so nice. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you both for coming on. Um, At this point, everyone should know where to find me and find the show. Uh, Keep your eyes peeled to our um, Patreon, which I'm really bad about updating, but me and Amanda will be doing a new episode of Cages the Rage, which is where me and Amanda are slowly working through Nicolas Cage's entire filmography in chronological order. Uh, And we're going to be watching a weird Canadian film starring him early in his career where he he is like a rower on a college Mm -hmm. team, and he is absolutely ripped in that movie. Uh, it's called like the boy in blue ripped. so yeah so uh even more ripped than moonlight oh my <laughs> yeah it is it is and it's before he got his teeth fixed so it's like peak cage for me that's fantastic all right well thanks for listening guys <laughs> have a good night the shameless picture show is recorded in milwaukee wisconsin and eastern maryland and is hosted and produced by nick richards and michael Viers. today's episode was edited by michael Viers. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.